are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Kevin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy Tuesday to all of our listeners. Got a jam-packed episode coming your way. We're going to wrap up our Senior Bowl coverage looking at some defensive standouts who could be good fits for the Seahawks draft in April. Plus, we'll be continuing our position-by-position review. Looking back at the 2021 season for the receiving group and what might be in store in the future for DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and company. As always, taking Locked On Seahawks, your first listen five days a week. This episode is brought your way by Get Upside. Make sure to download the Get Upside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Potentially some instant breaking news here on Locked on Seahawks. This news is yet to be officially confirmed, but per reports, the Seahawks may have a new passing game coordinator and defensive back coach on the defensive side of the football, replacing Andre Curtis. And no, it will not be Sean Desai, at least based on reports, former Bears defensive coordinator, not the name being thrown out there by Matt Zenitz of On3Sports.com, instead indicating that the Seahawks are planning to name Carl Scott. I had to go back and look at the name because I didn't even have that guy on my radar at all, but Carl Scott selected as the passing game coordinator and defensive backs coach for the Seahawks. And though this is not a name that immediately jumped out to me, looking at the resume, you can see why Pete Carroll, Clint Hurt, and Ed Donatel might have been intrigued by this particular coaching candidate for this position. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, we we had thought that there might be a possibility to be a young coach from the NFC North division, and that's exactly what we got. It's just not going to be Sean Desai. Uh, it sounds like it is going to be Carl Scott. He spent his last season uh, with the Minnesota Vikings. That was his first season in the NFL. His previous three years were at the University of Alabama, and which I think is exciting because of the fact, of course, the Crimson Tide with Nick Saban, they churn out uh, quality NFL players year in and year out. But one of the things I was most intrigued by Corbin is the fact that uh, that previous to his time at Alabama, uh, Carl Scott was at the University of, uh, or excuse me, of Texas Tech. And that is quite the jump from Texas Tech to the University of Alabama to the Minnesota Vikings. And so that's quite the career arc here. And of course, the one of the players that, that he helped tutor um, would be Patrick Sertan uh, II. And he wound up being, uh, you know, working with Ed Donatel and the Denver Broncos a year ago as well. So there has been some familiarity with Ed Donatel uh, and Carl Scott. And obviously Ed Donatel has been brought in by the Seahawks here. So this is that young, bright mind that, uh, you know, a lot of Seahawks fans have been clamoring for. Maybe it's a different name than expected, but still, for all of those people out there who are criticizing the Seahawks with Pete Carroll just going with the guys that have been part of his own coaching tree and things like that in the past, this absolutely is looking to do something a little bit different with a coach who knows the NFC North and, of course, the Green Bay Packers, Minnesota Vikings especially. I mean, those are two of the most dynamic offenses in all of the NFL. Carl Scott knows them. And so I'm intrigued by this potential hire. 
Yeah, I think that this is a really interesting hire. If it ends up coming to fruition as of the start of this episode, I've been reaching out trying to get confirmation on whether or not Carl Scott is going to be taking this position. And I have yet to hear an affirmative on that, not to deny the report that has come out. The reporter that released this information has a pretty good track record. And so I'm not denying that this is what is going to happen. It's just at this point, it has not been officially announced. But if Carl Scott ends up being the pick, and that's their new passing game coordinator, as you mentioned, he does only have one year of experience in the NFL. So some might look at that as a red flag, but he has ascended up the coaching ladder quickly. This is a coach that was a defensive coordinator at one point at Southeastern Louisiana, an FCS school. He was there for a year. And I've noticed that's kind of the track record. He has been a, what I call a puddle jumper. He has been going from one coaching job to another, seemingly by year. And he's been elevating to bigger and bigger schools at the college level and then finally made the jump to the NFL last year. And so sometimes with coaches like that, they ascend a bit too quickly and they have to fall back to earth a little bit. You look at the numbers of the Vikings last year, they were 28th in the NFL in passing defense. So that doesn't necessarily reflect well on Carl Scott. But at the same time, they were 13th in the NFL in turnovers created. So clearly he was doing something right with a secondary in that regard. And they were in the top six in third down defense as well. And so I think that the secondary has a big part to do with that as well. So you look at his record in the NFL, a brief one at that. There's some good and there's some bad, but he's 36. This is a young guy. He's younger than Sean Desai, who's 37. And this is also a coach. He and Ed Donatel may be familiar with one another, but again, this guy has coached one year in the NFL. This is a completely outside the box hire. This is a guy that has not been associated with any of the other coaches that are on Seattle's coaching staff. Now, Pete Carroll does have a relationship with Nick Saban, so that may be part of this. He may have inquired about Carl Scott to Nick Saban and gotten a positive endorsement. I'm sure that was part of this, if this ends up being the selection. But it is a fascinating one because, as you mentioned, this truly is the type of hire that Seahawks fans have been clamoring for, somebody that isn't from the establishment, that hasn't been working under Pete Carroll, that isn't completely familiar with the way he does things in his defensive scheme. You're bringing in a true outsider and a young one at that that can hopefully infuse some new ideas into Seattle's defense, particularly defending the intermediate passing game, which has been the biggest trouble for Seattle for the last four or five years. It has been. And, you know, one of the things that I really like about this is, again, just looking at at who that, uh, that Carl Scott is, has coached with to this point. We all know that Pete Carroll's background is in the defensive side of the ball, but specifically in the secondary. That's specifically what Mike Zimmer's background is in. That's specifically what Nick Saban's background is in. And so I kind of like the way that lines up here. I, I think that a good defensive backs coach is certainly going to be able to find another good defensive backs coach. So to me, this feels like while this is not somebody from Pete Carroll's wheelhouse necessarily, in a way it kind of is. So again, I mean, without really knowing much about Carl Scott, I, I am intrigued by this selection here. I, if again, this winds up coming to fruition, but um, to me, there, there's some really interesting things there. And I, again, just love the fact that he coached at a big time level. I mean, the University of Alabama just, you know, speaks for itself. But you think about some of the players that um, that he coached there, um, you know, not only, as I mentioned before, Patrick Sertan, 
Um, first round pick this past year by the Denver Broncos had a very successful rookie season. Xavier McKinney, uh, the, the safety. So it's not just the cornerbacks. Um, of course, Trevon Diggs, who wound up just leading the NFL in interceptions this past season. Another safety, Deontay Thompson, is actually with the Arizona Cardinals. That's four defensive backs that wound up being drafted, three of them in the top two rounds just in the three seasons that he was at the University of Alabama. And obviously Nick Saban deserves a lot of credit for that. But at the same time, I do think that it is it just speaks to the fact that you are getting a guy who has uh, coached at the highest level at the collegiate le- at the collegiate game and then went into the NFC North. And th- that takes a lot of courage to be able to make that jump, to go with a guy who is as – Oh, let's just say, you know, with, with Mike Zimmer, I mean, he's kind of known for being kind of a grumpy kind of a guy. And, and yet to be able to handle that pressure to go up against the defense or the, the, excuse me, the passing games that they have in that division and to have some success. I mean, Minnesota had all kinds of injuries in their secondary as well this last year. And so to be able to have the success that they did, uh, to me, is really intriguing. Yeah, I think the biggest red flag with this hiring, and you could say this about any young coach, you're not going to know until you actually hire him, but again, the extent of his coordinator experience is at the FCS level, and he did it for one year. Sean Desai at least would have offered you a year of defensive coordinator experience in the NFC North, in the NFL, going against Aaron Rodgers and some of those high-powered offenses. You're not going to get that same luxury with Carl Scott, but at the same time, he has coached the highest level in college. He's been an assistant coach under Nick Saban, one of the most revered coaches out there, any level of the sport. He coached under Mike Zimmer, who, even though Mike Zimmer was let go by the Vikings, a lot of respect in the coaching community for what he has done, coaching up defenses and defensive backs for decades. So he does have the resume there that should intrigue. If this ends up being the hire, we'll obviously have more time to dish out our thoughts on this once it becomes official. But at this point, nothing is set in stone. But it looks like Carl Scott could be heading to Seattle as the replacement for Andre Curtis as Seattle's passing game coordinator. We'll see what else comes out here in coming hours and days. We're going to flip the script of the Senior Bowl here in a moment, putting a bow on the All-Star Week with some defensive standouts that jumped out to Rob and I that might be good fits for the Seahawks when the draft arrives in late April. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the playoffs right to the big game in a couple of weeks. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your favorite sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. Bet Online has up to the minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online where the game starts. Make sure to check out this incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called Get Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's automatic cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's absolutely no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or even an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Download the free GetUpside app today and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get $0.25 per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. 
You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's officially Super Bowl week. We have got the Locked On NFL podcast team on the ground, courtesy of Get Upside. They're going to be covering the big game coming up between the Bengals and Rams throughout the week. So make sure to subscribe and download on your preferred platform. Finishing up our coverage of the Senior Bowl. It has come and gone. We talked offensive prospects yesterday that suit the Seahawks. We're going to talk defense today, my favorite side of the football, looking at some players. And and obviously, this is the side of the football the Seahawks probably have the most glaring needs as well. The good news is there was quite a bit of defensive talent in Mobile. Let's talk some players, Rob, who really impressed you that fit what the Seahawks look for, whether that's physical traits, mental makeup, toughness, you name it. What's one defensive player that immediately jumped out to you this week in Mobile that screamed Seahawks? Well, Corbin, there, as you just said, there was so much defensive talent in Mobile, Alabama, that uh, I've been kind of eagerly anticipating this conversation here. Um, One of the guys who really, really reminds me of former Seahawks standout, now currently, unfortunately, for the Kansas City Chiefs, Jaron Reed, um, would be Devontae Wyatt from the University of Georgia. Um, you know, George, of course, national champions, a lot of guys in the Bulldogs got an awful lot of credit for them. They had the Buckus Award winner and the Kobe Dean. Everybody knows about big Jordan Davis. Devontae Wyatt was the guy, in my opinion, that really was one of the true difference makers for that team. He's 6'3", he's 310 pounds. He had seven sacks this past season, Corbin. That's a huge jump from the two that he had previous to that one and a half, uh, you know, is his freshman and sophomore years. He reminds me of Jaron Reed and that he, as I used to describe Jaron Reed back in the day when he was with the Seahawks, it's kind of a junkyard dog. He's a guy who just loves to play football, is hyper aggressive, uses his hands well. Um, that was something that Jaron Reed did not do very well at Alabama, but then scouting him at the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago, I saw him get some work with his hands and you could just see that the light bulb kind of went off. And you could just see that there was some untapped potential with him as a pass rusher. To me, with Devontae Wyatt, I see that type of a game and, and that type of a mentality. So I don't think that defensive tackle is necessarily the biggest area of concern for this club, especially at that three-technique position. But at the same time, you asked me about some guys who scream Seahawk. Devontae Wyatt, in so many different ways, does scream Seahawk. The more clips that I watched – last week and again I wasn't at the practices like you were so I didn't get to see every rep I only got to see limited reps on virtual credential and then obviously I watched the game on Saturday but number 34 from Minnesota boy Mafe boy was I excited watching that kid and I've seen him play in some games this past fall Minnesota's got a couple other prospects that intrigued me so I didn't get to watch as much college football this year as I usually do but I did get to see the Golden Gophers play a few times. I'm a Midwest guy. I love the Big Ten. And Mafe's one of those characters that you look at the stat line. He had seven sacks this year, which is a decent stat line. He was a third-team All-Big Ten selection. The year before, he had four and a half, but that was in just six games in a COVID-shortened season. So he knows how to get after the quarterback. And this guy's a human pogo stick. I cannot wait to see what he puts up for vertical and broad jump at the combine because this guy can just jump out of a stadium he's got all the athletic traits he's oozing with athletic talent he's got good size around 6'4 255 pounds 
perfect size to be a Leo in Seattle's defense. The biggest question marks have been his hand usage. Is he just an athlete? And also his ability to defend the run. While I still have questions about that, can he develop into an every down type of defensive lineman that can defend the run to Pete Carroll's standards? That's something that I'm a little bit more cautious about. But after watching him go against top tackles at Mobile, seeing the way that he was able to shed blocks and his hand usage, using some refined counter moves, using him in the game to get a couple of sacks as well. I've been eased with my concerns in that regard. I think this kid has got enough technique that if he's coached up a little more, he could be an absolute monster at the next level. And everybody that follows the Seahawks knows they need a guy that can provide juice off the edge. Mafe absolutely could provide that. Yeah, you stole some of the words out of my mouth there in describing him. I mean, just uh, there's so much untapped potential with him. Such a fantastic athlete. And that's the most exciting thing to me, Corbin. That's why I do think that the most likely scenario has Seattle using their first draft pick. Right now, slated to be number 41 overall, I believe, on one of these edge rushers. Whether it be a Mafe, whether it be a Jermaine Johnson the second from Florida State, if he is available. Um, there's just so many of them this year that really look like they should be able to come into the NFL and be able to boost uh, Seattle's pretty anemic pass rush. And so I'm going to mention another guy that is not the same caliber of athlete, but he is awfully productive. And that being Cameron Thomas from uh, San Diego State, 20 tackles for loss this season, 10 and a half sacks uh, this season, was also very impressive during the senior bowl practice. He's not the same caliber of athlete as I mentioned before, but I just love the way he coordinates his hands and his feet. He looks like a guy who is ready to pop right now. And, and that's one of the things that I think that the Seahawks are going to be looking for a player I think they're going to have to try and take a different approach than what they've done in the past. Rather than just going for traits, I think they're going to have to look for somebody who's going to be able to come in and make a little bit more of an immediate impact, be a little bit more polished. And so to me, that's why Cameron Thomas, some people just call him Cam, he's somebody to watch, I think, for the Seahawks. When you talk about polish, it's interesting I'm going to be bringing this kid up because I think Jesse Lucchetta from Penn State is entering the NFL as a true tweener, we're talking about a guy that for three years was a linebacker, an off-ball linebacker at Penn State. And then last year, they moved him to defensive end. He only had half a sack. So that transition did not yield much pass rushing production. And yet he goes out on Saturday in the Senior Bowl and gets not one but two sacks. And his practice clips were really good. And you look at his body, again, he's kind of got that tweener body. He's 250 pounds, 6'3", 6'3 and a half. He looks like he could be a defensive end. He looks like he could be an off-ball linebacker. In Seattle, though, I really like the scheme fit because the one thing that jumps off the tape, I've watched a number of Penn State prospects over the last week because I see a lot of guys I think could be good fits for the Seahawks, Luketa being one of them. His motor, he constantly is running on hot, and you know that that is a key thing the Seahawks are looking for. They want a kid that loves football and plays with a relentless motor. Luketa is going to bring those two traits He's not the greatest athlete, but he makes up for it with his effort and his tenacity. I like him as a hybrid Sam Leo defensive end. I think that he could play both those positions depending on where, wherever Seattle wanted to use him. But you could see the pass rushing potential, even if those numbers didn't show up for Penn State this year. You can see why the Nittany Lions coaching staff made that move with this kid because I think there's some upside. He'd be a guy probably early day three that I would take a flyer on. I wouldn't draft him much earlier than that. 
But I think this is a kid that could come in immediately play special teams for you. And the Seahawks, depending on their linebacker position, the state of that position could end up playing him pretty early on defense. And I think he could step in and contribute. I do too. And you are absolutely uh, spot on with Penn State. And they are just loaded with defensive talent and a lot of guys who really do scream Seahawks. So, yeah, that is absolutely one of the programs I think that people should be scouting. Um, you know, another guy that, that I think kind of screams Seahawks, at least what Seattle has preferred in the past, um, and, and that would be the defensive back Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska. Uh, he's not quite as tall not quite having the arm length that Seattle is required. I think it's 31 and three quarters inch arms rather than the 32. He's 5'11 rather than the six foot plus, but he's 200 pounds. He's rock solid. He played safety previously, made that transition uh, to cornerback this past season, has five interceptions over his career, uh, gets his hand on a lot of footballs, 22 def- uh, breakups uh, over his career. And it's just the physicality. It's it, it just, a, just a different kind of mentality that, that we've seen from Seattle defensive backs over the years. During the Pete Carroll era, it's like sometimes you see guys that just, well, that's not a Seahawk guy. He just doesn't play the run. He's not the open field tackler, the hitter, um, playing with that enthusiasm. Cam Taylor Britt does not uh, check all of those boxes. And so to me, in a, cl- a draft class that I think is absolutely loaded at cornerback and is pretty darn good at safety as well, Cam Taylor Britt to me is one of those guys who, again, screams Seahawk a little bit. You mentioned safety. I'm going to go there, even though I think that Quandre Diggs should be prioritized, assuming that he somehow ends up not being re-signed. There's a chance that that could happen. This is a class that's got decent depth at safety and some quality players I think would be good fits for the Seahawks. Baylor actually has two safeties that I think could make sense for Seattle, but I'm going to mention one that I think would be available on day three that has starter upside, and that is JT Woods. Tall, pretty lean, uh, pretty lanky, kind of has a build similar to Marquise Blair. So some Seahawks fans might be thinking, well, with the injuries that he's had, that kind of scares me away. But JT Woods does not have that injury history. So that might be something to keep in mind here. But I just love the range that this kid plays with because if there's one thing that matters playing free safety in Pete Carroll's defense, You've got to be able to take away the seam, and you've got to be able to take away the post routes. That is number one, number two, and number three. Woods has been inconsistent at times doing that. There have been some mental errors in the college level, but you can see the playmaking ability, and you can see the range and the ability to undercut throws. He ended the senior bowl with an interception where it looked like it was going to be a gimme touchdown, and he ended up undercutting a throw that was underthrown but made a really good read on it. He's got ball hawking traits. He'll come up and he'll stick you. He's got decent tackling technique. And he looks like he might have a frame that you can add a little bit of muscle to. I questioned that with Marquise Blair. It does look like this kid, you could bulk him up a little bit, and he would still be a really explosive athlete. He'd still have his ball skills. So I'm very intrigued by him. Because he's had an up-and-down college career, I'd be hesitant to draft him earlier in the fourth round. But I think on day three, if you're looking for a future free safety, JT Woods could be your guy. Again, 100% agreed. And yeah, that that Baylor Bears defense, especially the secondary, has a lot of interesting guys that I think the Seahawks are definitely going to be paying a lot of attention to. We're going to shift gears here now, moving away from college back to the Seahawks, talking to receivers, our position-by-position position re- review, how 2021 played out, what the future may hold for that group. 
Really looking forward to checking out how DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and company performed this year and what we might be able to expect in 2022. This episode is brought your way by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. So save time and money using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership when you can save big bucks online with Rock Auto? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer. They've got everything you need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil. It could be a steering wheel cover. You name it, they've got it all. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to all your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making our podcast your first listen five days a week. Continuing our position-by-position review, we've looked at quarterbacks and running backs on offense, defensive ends and defensive tackles on defense, now continuing the skill positions on offense. Wide receiver, this was a group, Rob, that had such high expectations going into the season with two superstars at the top of the depth chart in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, a second-round pick, an explosive one at that, and D. Eskridge coming in, Freddie Swain coming off a surprisingly good first season. There were, the expectations were through the roof for this group, but I would be remiss to say that you know this group didn't necessarily meet those expectations as a whole. Tyler Lockett had a fantastic season, career-high in receiving yards, eight touchdowns, DK Metcalf had 12 receiving touchdowns, but he battled a foot injury. He was under 1,000 receiving yards in 17 games after breaking Steve Largent's single-season record the year before. So overall, disappointing production given he was expected to take another step forward this year. Freddie Swain's numbers doubled, but he didn't necessarily light it up. D. Eskridge was hurt for a big chunk of his rookie season, and most of the games he played in was a relative non-factor. So while they did have their big plays and they were impacted by the quarterback situation with Russell Wilson getting hurt, Geno Smith playing some of those games, Wilson not being 100% upon his return, there's all these factors, but this group just didn't really live up to expectations, the high ones that were set, rightfully so, before the start of the season. Well, I again, I agree with you. I think there is so much more potential than there was production from the Seahawks receiving core this year. I mean, I think that... You know, we all see what a physical freak that DK Metcalf is. And for a variety of reasons, I think that he is going to be, you know, probably going to have the biggest season of his career this next season. I think that the fact that he is entering the final year of his rookie contract, uh, I think he's going to be incredibly motivated. Obviously, Russell Wilson coming off of the injury uh, that he came off of. And, you know, knock on wood that you hope that both of those two players stay healthy. Um, you know, Tyler Lockett is Mr. Consistency. He, he's absolutely unbelievable with, with how uh, you know savvy of a route runner he is, how the incredible straight line speed and, uh, you know, just the, the body control 
the secure hands that he possesses, the durability that he has shown over his career. But at the same time, when you have a couple of receivers there, Corbin, who basically you know averaged 75 catches this past year between the two of them, and then the next closest wide receiver, um, you know, in, in Freddie Swain had 25 catches, then it, it's such a huge drop off. And we are seeing the way that the NFL is going now. And we talked about this before. There are some out there who believe that your team, or at least your offense, is only as good as your third best receiver. The Seahawks simply cannot have that much of a drop-off. So whether it be Freddie Swain, whether it be D. Eskridge, um, somebody has to kind of step up uh, you know, at the wide receiver position. We've talked before about tight ends and things like that. But I mean specifically at the wide receiver position. That is something that I do expect that Shane Waldron's offense really to take a whole different step next year. Yeah, Tyler Lockett was really the only receiver. And I guess I could include Freddie Swain in this as well. I think Freddie Swain's numbers overall were better than I anticipated that they were going to be. He did benefit from two badly busted coverages for two of his long touchdowns. And, you know, if you watch the games closely, you notice those type of things. And obviously that inflated his stats. Some, and defenses are going to make those busted coverages. You got to take advantage of them. So that's not knocking him. But this group, it feels like a broken record because what was the big thing we were talking about all offseason this time last year? We said Seattle needs to get a third receiver, whether that be, that being an elite tight end or they need to get another receiver that can run routes from the slot outside that can do damage. And D. Eskridge, they were hoping, was going to be that guy, and they still hope that he's going to be that guy. But as a rookie, that was not the case, and really things just got off to a bad start. And this has been an issue chronically for the Seahawks with their early round draft picks, guys coming to training camp and either already being hurt or getting hurt early in camp or in preseason games, he had a foot injury that he was dealing with. Was able to come back late in training camp, was behind the eight ball, is out there for the season opener, makes a couple nice runs on jet sweeps, gets, gets concussed on a really bad hit on the sidelines. We don't see him for seven games. And then upon his return for the first few games, he's back. He hardly plays any snaps on offense. You, uh, you got to see one game against the 49ers where he caught a touchdown, had over 30 receiving yards. But aside from that, he really was a non-factor. They could not get him involved. Freddie Swain's numbers were fine, but for a number three receiver, they're not what you're expecting in today's NFL. Penny Hart only got a handful of opportunities. They didn't really have anybody else on the depth chart they were comfortable giving a lot of snaps to at the receiver position on offense either. So it feels like we are kind of in a time loop here, even though D. Eskridge is still a high upside player that we expect when healthy can be a difference maker for this team. It still feels like you've got Tyler Lockett, you got DK Metcalf coming off of a season where I think his foot really was a big part of the reason his numbers were not as good as they could have been. But you've got those two. You got Freddie Swain, who's a solid third or fourth receiver. And then you've got D. Eskridge. I mean, what else do you have? It feels like they're still trying to figure out that number three receiver situation. And they're hoping D. Eskridge is that guy. But at the same time, you are wondering, could there be some changes again this offseason, trying to bring in another guy or two to compete to see if they can finally get a third receiver behind Lockett and Metcalf that really – is dangerous and really forces the defense to account for them. They just haven't had that the last two years. 
They have not, you know, and they, they kind of gambled on guys like Philip Dorsett, you know, and other receivers out there. Of course, Josh Gordon a couple of years ago, you know, they, they clearly wanted to be able to find another big play receiver that can really take advantage of Russell Wilson's just incredible accuracy uh, on, on the deep ball. Um, and so that's one of the ways that I do think that this team can look to improve itself, whether it be a free agent, uh, you know, a veteran or it be a, a wide receiver class that is, again, another good one. Um, but I just have so much expectations for D. Eskridge. I mean, where I was disappointed in was the fact that at times it just felt like that he didn't know where he was supposed to line up. And, yeah. of course, some of that is the fact that, that he did move so many different positions while at Western Michigan. Um, as you mentioned with the concussion, I mean, certainly his his head had to be pretty foggy. Um, and so that that is obviously part of why that he was not able to get onto the field um, you know, and play more of a consistent role for Seattle because he just didn't have a, you know, a great mastery of, of Seattle's offense. You would expect that to take a, a big step forward. But to me, one of the things I think has to keep the Seahawks awake at night, Corbin, is the fact that, you know, DK Metcalf, for as big and imposing as he is, that college background, the lack of durability that he had in college is frightening. Tyler Lockett with his slim frame is frightening. Both of them have been incredibly durable over the last over, over their NFL careers. They deserve a great deal of credit for that. But at the same time, if either one of them were to miss any kind of significant time, that could Who are you going to lean on? Exactly. That could be a season ender for you. So I do think the Seahawks have to consider trying to bring somebody else in. They only have so many resources, of course, but I just think that the drop-off between those top two superstars and everybody else is such a steep drop-off that that's something the Seattle has to take a, you know, put some, put some uh, resources into that position. And I'm just going to say it right now, going into next year's training camp, we'll see where things stand depth chart wise. They can, they might add somebody in free agency, or maybe they'll draft somebody on day three to add to this group. But I would like to see Kate Johnson, a player that you and I talked about a lot last draft season. We thought he was going to get drafted. He didn't. The Seahawks signed him as an undrafted rookie, and he actually got cut at one point off the practice squad. They re-signed him a couple of days later, but he never got called up for any games. He's such a savvy route runner with really soft hands, knows how to play the game. It just seems like he'd be a guy. I saw him make some plays on the practice field during training camp. The few times he got to play with Russell Wilson, you saw those two connect. That is one name that's going to be coming back this year that you're wondering going into year two, could that maybe be a guy that comes in and really takes a big step forward in his sophomore season and plays his way onto this roster in 2022? That would be the one name looking towards the future that I still have some optimism about, even with him not getting any chances to play in regular season games this year. I've seen what this kid can do on tape. I've seen him at practice. Just such a savvy, high IQ football player that's got the route running ability and the hands might not be the greatest athlete, but he's got good quickness in and out of his breaks. And again, you add the mental aptitude with that. I just think that he's a kid that can help this football team, at least as a secondary receiver next year. So that might be one name to keep an eye on. And of course, D. Eskridge making that big leap if you can keep him healthy. That was the big issue this year. Missing all that time, I think that had a big reason, uh, was a big reason behind why he struggled to get positioned right too, is because he wasn't getting the practice reps being out mental reps only goes so far when you're talking about running plays and stuff. So 
You're hoping you can get Eskridge playing at the level that you believe he's capable of. I think Kay Johnson is a kind of under-the-radar sleeper still that could have an impact next year. We'll see if Penny Hart's still in the mix. But it feels like largely that this is going to be the same group we saw last year. There may be a new piece or two added, but they just got to figure out, guys behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, how can we have a player or two emerge from that group so that we have three or four viable receivers and it takes some pressure off our top two guys. Yeah, no question about it. And again, I would not be surprised at all to see Seattle, uh, you know, use one of their later draft picks this year um, to be able to try to add a little bit more size to that receiver position. I, I really like D. Eskridge. I like the contact balance. I like the physicality for a wide receiver. Just his frame, it's really intriguing. Seattle hasn't had a guy like him since maybe Percy Harvin, that kind of golden tape Percy Harvin kind of a build to him. And then you mentioned before with, uh, you know, Penny Hart and, um, of course, Kay Johnson. I mean, a little bit more of a Doug Baldwin kind of slant, uh, you know, classic slot receiver type of guys. But I just don't see anybody else who has wheels that uh, that has some size as well. And so that, to me, is one of the things that I think the Seahawks are lacking. Again, Freddie Swain's a solid football player. I like where his kind of career trajectory so far. I just want to see a little bit more consistency. Yeah, I agree with you. The one thing that this group really needs, they need another bigger body receiver that has some wheels that can create some matchup problems downfield. I think they were partially hoping that Kobe Parkinson was going to be that guy, but yet they're in line blocking him more than he's out running routes. And so that seems to have changed in terms of plans. They need another bigger receiver that can move, can win contested catches, can high point the football. So that might be something you see them look for, like you said, on day three. I largely expect this receiving core to look like it did last year, though, mostly be kept intact after this offseason. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make your second listen Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up on our Wednesday episode, we're going to be taking a look at the linebackers as we continue our position by position review. We're also going to be taking a look at one of the biggest names set to hit the market for the Seahawks as an unrestricted free agent. Share on share our thoughts on whether or not he's going to be back in 2022 and beyond. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.